Well, hello everybody and welcome to this week's podcast of your Manchester with me, Miss Belinda Scandal and... Miranda McCaffrey. Yes, we have got a lovely show lined up for you today. Who's on the show today, please, Brandon? Well, we've got Mark Llewellyn, who's on to talk about his Corey Fanatic pieces. It's amazing. We've got... Simon Lepore, everybody. The Lib Dem candidate for Metro Mayor of Manchester. And Mark Fletcher, of course, the CEO of Manchester Pride. And Emma Kenny, the psychiatrist from this morning, to talk about Harry and Meghan's little interview. So stick around, everybody, here on Your Manchester. Well, it is coming back, everybody, and we are beyond, beyond excited to let you all know that, yes, indeed, the Manchester Pride Festival is coming back 2021, everybody, and we couldn't let this pass without celebrating this moment with the leader of the pack from Pride Manchester, everybody, the wildest festival. It's Mr Mark Fletcher. Mark Fletcher, welcome, and uh, how are you? Thank you. Uh, I'm well. Um, I'm beaming this week, actually, off the back of the news last week. Uh, you got me in high spirits today. <laughs> it is amazing, amazing news. So Pride uh, last year was a little bit different. How was it for you being part of Pride 2020 with everything that went on? You know what? We were just really, really thrilled to be able to deliver something. It's so important that we have a celebration of LGBT plus life, whatever it looks like. And in 2020, when we weren't able to come together, the way in which we were able to pull together different events and a strand of events um, in the well at the 11th of hour in the short time space that we had i'm incredibly proud of and that's because we had a lot of support from stakeholders from our headline sponsor um as well and our audience wanted it you know we we, we looked back at the stats and we had over 114,000 people that joined us across that weekend taking part in those events uh, either watching live um or on, on any of the channels that that, that we had um, it was quite unique we learned a lot of lessons from it if i'm honest um, some of which we carry forward uh, to, to, to provide, to, well, to create a much more accessible festival. Um, but it's nothing like having an in-person festival and we all know and love the format that the festival normally has. And how are we going back to the older, more recognised format for 2021? The way in which we're presenting it this year is slightly different. You know, Manchester Pride Festival is much more than a party. It's much more than one celebration. It's much more than music acts. Um, it's a celebration of LGBTQ plus life. So this year we were kind of taking a, a foot off the gas, taking a step back and presenting the different key strands of the festival. We have community, we have activism, equality, a party arts and culture, and family and youth. And within each of those strands, there are a number of different events, um, some that you'll know and love, the parade, uh, the Gay Village Party, MCR Pride Live, and of course, the heart of the festival, the Candlelit Vigil. So we're planning a return to each of those events this year. How many different scenarios have you had to put in place to make sure there is definitely something happening for 2021? Many, many. You know, you asked me, Belinda, about 2020, how I felt about that celebration. 2020 was a, a year for survival. You know, Manchester Pride is a charity. And like many other organisations and charities, um, we had to fight for our survival. And we, we needed some, to, to really fight hard to make sure that we could support LGBT plus people in the way in which we all need to be supported. Um, and ensuring that our initiatives were, were live and that we could have uh, the, the celebration for 2021. When it comes to scenario planning, 
there was scenario after scenario after scenario. <laughs> I can't tell you, my job is now chief scenario planner. I think that's what I should be referred to from now on, certainly for the rest of the year. I would have um, loved to be moment, a fly yeah. on the wall as you've been planning all this <laughs> over the last few months. That's a whole documentary series in itself, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> we have three clear plans at the moment um, that we want to exercise to make it simple for people so that everybody understands um, that there is a full in-person program of events that we're planning if we're unable to do that then our secondary option would see socially distance events as part of the festival and if we're unable to do that then we'll revert to a digital and a broadcast celebration instead what we're letting people know from day one and we, we wanted to give people time and space to, to understand that we are coming back and see what the different elements were before we put tickets on sale to any of our events so everybody can be fully understanding that if an event doesn't take place your ticket will be refunded or you can roll it forward to when the event can take place so that everybody has that certainty. You have mentioned, of course, though, in some of your um, releases that there's going to be a reduced capacity for a lot of the events. Uh, So how is that going to look? I'm guessing that won't mean that it's going to be um, such a large scale as in Mayfield then this year, will it not? So what happened off the back of the um, introduction of Manchester Pride Live at Mayfield, we do an audience survey at the end of the festival each year. And the large um, amount of feedback was coming in was saying that people felt there was too many people at that event and they would prefer to it to, to be less people there. So we took that on board. We listened to everything that comes in from our survey. So before we'd even got to the pandemic, we were planning on reducing the capacity for that event. Now, because of the measures that we have to put in place or the provisionally put in place, it means that we have to plan for a smaller capacity so that we can ensure the safety um, of our audience and for any additional procedures that may be put into place, that there's space for us to be able to deliver that as well, all within you know within tight confines of, of a city centre. And that's, that's only relating to MCR Pride Live. So we're, we're really holding out and planning for the Gay Village Party to be as wonderful as it was in 2019, which was epic, in my opinion. Of course, the, the main um, feeling of the end of Pride, the beginning of Pride, is we all look forward to that vigil. Uh, that's still going to retain itself, hopefully, fingers crossed, in Southfield Park. Yep. So the plan is exactly, exactly that. And we can't wait. You know, last year was incredibly special. Um, the way in which we delivered the vigil, I'm really proud of everybody that contributed towards that. Um, we had some new producers working on it alongside, um, uh, wonderful Kate O'Donnell. We had Nathaniel Hall working on it with us as well last year. And it was truly special. We want to be able to bring that back to Sackville Park, Sackville Gardens this year so that people can experience it in, as, as it, as it was always intended. Um, for us, that's, that's quite key. And that a capacity for that event is, is a smaller capacity than some of the others. If we had to reduce it again to ensure that we could come back into that space, then I'd be keen for us to do that. So basically, to, to wrap it all up, Pride's going to be fabulous. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be something we recognise. And more importantly, you as organisers are going to retain the heart for which it's known. Yes. Absolutely. And we can't wait to come back together. You know, it's going to be really emotional this year. We're already when we started talking about the festival, um, our audience is, is, is just really, everybody wants to come back and be together. You know, as LGBT plus yeah. people, we know we're disproportionately affected by isolation at the best of times. So to be able to come back together and just be in a space, in a safe space and, and celebrate who we are as part of our identity, um, it's going to be quite special this year. Uh, as always, an absolute pleasure. And we'll speak to you as we get nearer to the event. Thank you for chatting to me and inviting me along. It's been lovely to see you. Been in isolation for far too long. Far (laughs) too long. Take care, Mark. I'll speak to you soon. Here to talk about his latest exploits of going into the Metro Mayor campaign is Simon Lepore. So for those that don't know, what does the Metro Mayor do? 
So the Metro Mayor has a, a wide-ranging portfolio um, covering uh, police and uh, crime commissioner, um, covering £6.3 billion of health and social care spending in Greater Manchester, uh, transport, uh, environment, waste collection, um, fire service. There's everything you can think of in Greater Manchester, the Metro Mayor has a part in. Mm. And what is your responsibilities? And what, what's your key points that you're hoping yeah. will will make you stand out from your other two competitors? Which, of course, one of them is Mr. Burnham. I know. Um, and you know, I have, I have a bit of respect for Andy Burnham. You know, he's been around a long time. Um, he's been in cabinet in government, and he's obviously been an MP in Lee, um, and he's been our, our mayor for the past uh, four years now. Uh, and there's some things he's done well some things he hasn't and I think the policing has been um, one of those things that he's not done that well. Um, our police force is in special measures at the moment. Um, we've got 80,000 crimes that got lost off the books um, and didn't get investigated properly. How many of those were hate crimes? How many of those affected the LGBT community? I want to know, and I'm sure a lot of your viewers do too. Um, this is something you're quite passionate about, isn't it? Yes, the I'm... LGBT side, and of course the hate crowd, um, hate crimes side as mm. well. Yeah. What, I mean, why, why is it you're so passionate? Well, I am. I'm a member of this community. I, you know, I, I live in Stretford with my partner, and you know, I, I'm obviously, I'm 40 years old. I turned 40 on Sunday, but Happy I lived. Birthday. Through... Well done. Thank you. I lived through um, the. Um, the 80s and the 90s with section 28 so i am very aware of uh, our equalities and our our drive for recognition and our drive for support and we should be demanding more of our metro mayor when he has so much control over health and social care and housing and policing we we should be demanding more it's true so what is it exactly you want to say to the viewers tonight to make them want to vote for you Look, I, I'm saying to a lot of people, I wake up every day thinking of Greater Manchester. I love this city region. I love every part of it. You know, we, we need to be more inclusive. We need to protect our community. Uh, we need to look after our heritage in Greater Manchester. And, and the village is, is a key hub. But we also need to be supporting the LGBT community in all um, other nine boroughs around Greater Manchester, um, not just in Manchester City itself. So supporting those Pride events, supporting those health awareness events, supporting those outreach events, uh, making sure that mental health and support for young kids that are growing up and coming out so they have the support they need uh, to fully enjoy our community. And, uh, and Thank you so. very much. Well, you know, I've got to ask, though, I mean, you're going against two very, the, the larger two parties. Mm -hmm. do, do you think this is possible? Do you think this is something you can do? Well, the one thing that we should always remember about the Metro Mayors is you have two votes. It's, it's not first past the post. It's supplementary vote. So you have a first choice and you have a second choice. Um, you know, if you, you don't want the Tories or you don't want Labour, but you can't really, you don't really support them that well, then vote for me, first choice, and then vote for one of them, your second choice. Well, I'm sure we all watched it. The wonderful interview with Oprah Winfrey and Meghan, and of course, our very lovely Prince Harry. But what are the implications of that potentially on the rest of the world? 
we wanted to find out more, so we spoke to Emma Kenny. Hiya, thanks for having me. How are you doing? It's not a problem. It's been a, a strange couple of days for the entire country. I mean, mm-hmm. just as we think everything's fine and we're getting someone with COVID, there's been this wonderful interview. We won't mention Piers Morgan, but this wonderful interview I'll with Oprah, again. with Meghan and, um, and Harry, and it's all gone a bit strange. Uh, how should people that watch that programme, because they're split, what would you suggest their feelings should be? I mean, everybody has a subjective experience. Personally, I watched it and was transfixed. I wasn't really that interested in what had happened within the monarchy, the ins and outs of it. What worried me was about the feelings that were involved, which was she'd obviously had a really difficult time and mental health had failed horribly at some certain points because of stress. And I just can't imagine that people would question that experience that's a lived experience and no matter whether you like her or don't like her I really like Meghan and Harry I have no issues with the royal family either but this is a woman that had been pregnant she'd given birth she's pregnant again and there just seems this vitriol and I don't think it's healthy for anyone I don't think she was there either to justify her mental health to the world I think she was there to explain to people who do love them why they made the decision that was very difficult to leave and I think we should respect that and accept that no one has a right to say who deals with their mental health in one way versus another, right or wrong. It's all about the fact that at some point in your life, you'll go through a period where you struggle. And sometimes you might have all the luxuries in the world and it will not matter. This is why celebrities kill themselves. It's not because mental health has this option to just affect people who are in certainly dire situations. It can affect you at any time, in any place, no matter how the bank balance looks. So I would say for most people, at a time when there's so much division, why don't we just try to find some unity and accept that it's all right to not connect necessarily with people, but let's just be nice about them anyway. It doesn't do us any harm. What's about the body language between Harry and Meghan? Some are saying uh, that he was uh, being coerced. Uh, another word that was used was <laughs> he, he's being gaslighted oh, I've seen that into one. doing this. Um, as somebody who deals with mental health a lot, and of course I'm sure you notice people's body language, did anything come across on that that made you think perhaps he was being gaslighted or is being coerced? What came across to me was two really authentic people. But one of the things you've got to think about, and you know, you work in the media. So if you were Meghan and Harry, imagine the amount of loaded information that you have. And then imagine the relationship that he has in particular with the monarchy and his grandmother, who he massively respects. Every single word that you're going to start speaking is going to be thought out a little bit more than it would do if there was just natural flow. Like I'm saying now, because I'm aware that I shouldn't swear or I shouldn't say anything offensive and correctly, that's the way it should be. But it means that I think a little bit more deeply and that's what happens. So he wasn't coerced. I mean, this is a very intelligent young man who's now a father and has been brought up in a royal environment, which means it's had so many rituals and burdens added to it. And he also lost a mother at a very early age. And that's been incredibly Mm -hmm. painful. He's gone through family division. And with respect, you know, I think we can all agree, can't we? That in life, certainly for me, I've met people who I definitely connect more with than members of my family. That does not mean that I don't like my family. It means that if, you know, you got to choose, you might just choose a few different characters here and there. That's what relationships are like. You get to select your family. That's what your friends are like. You get to select them for a reason. You connect on a different level. Harry and Meghan connect on a different level. It may be hard for people to understand that's when you could give up a life of apparent privilege, but actually it's the beauty of love. Love does not have the same viewpoint as capitalism. 
Love mm. is something that will take an individual from one part of the world and transfer them to live with a tribe in another part of the world because of love. It doesn't necessarily make sense to other people, but it makes sense to the heart and to the individuals experiencing it. And that's what we should celebrate. And what about her comment where she said in the interview that she knew nothing about Harry? Is it possible that she could have gone through these 39 years of her life without knowing anything about Prince Harry? All I really knew about Prince Harry was that he was Diana's son and was definitely in the royal family. I did not think at that point that if I had that knowledge, it would make me seem like some Machiavellian character in the back <laughs> of the stage, looking in thinking, right, he's mine now and I'm going to construct my career and become a Suits actress and then we're going to get together. And then I'm going to really upset a couple of people who are heavily, heavily involved in the media and regret that experience. You know, that's not what happened. You know, she will have been completely breathtaking by him because Harry isn't just a royal member of a family. He's actually a really interesting, funny man. He's kind, he's compassionate. I mean, my God, he's protective. And my mm -hmm. God, he's emotionally cogent. And does that make me think that anybody who's got a brain as a female could be attracted to him if that's their sexuality? Yes, I think that most of us would say a charming debonair human with loads of intellect, incredible compassion, massive protection around us, and also, you know, might have a few million in the bank, isn't going to seem like a bad deal. And add to that a romanticized position because Americans are not like the Brits. Americans celebrate and raise up. And that's not a criticism to the Brits. I'm a British person myself. We're all about humility we're yeah. all about playing down but for her that story it's written in the stars that's the american dream that anyone can come from humble beginnings and aspire to be incredible and amazing and successful and in the uk it's more like okay let's just calm that down a little bit so there's a different culture and i think what actually happened was not a collision just about the royal family not just about race because undoubtedly that's played into it horribly but I think it was about vision. I think her vision and the American vision versus the British institution and the British vision, it's just not the same kind of bridge that can cross. And, and just finally, um, those people that are undoubtedly now sort of hating on Meghan and to some oh. extent Harry, <laughs> yeah. what would you say to them? I understand that you might not like them. I really do. And I understand that you might have those harboured feelings. But the truth is that they did leave the UK, whether you think rightly or wrongly, because they felt that nobody really liked them or wanted them. And that's just a negative system and energy to place in this world. I think there has been so much hate in the past few years and so much cancel culture. Mm -hmm. And that's where the worst things in our society live. If you cancel everything you don't like, you live in a monolithic society with no discussion. And if you don't grow from your experiences, you learn nothing. And if you don't learn by your mistakes or have an opportunity to, then no one wins because everyone becomes too afraid to speak out. So for me, I would say, if you really wanna make a change, be that change where you are more positive and giving to the world because right now, my God, we need it. Next up, we have Mark Llewellyn to bring us lots and lots of Coronation Street goodies and stories from the people, from the past, the present, and you'll probably even know them in the future. Mark, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. I, I did just say, and I am going to say, I probably shouldn't say it, but this 
is amazing. It's my poem. Oh it's my, my god. Poem. I'm going to read the it books is. of Coronation Street when I go home. I think, are they canon? They're actually sticking to the story, right? I can fit them in. If they, this is in between episodes 362 and 654. Absolutely. Fantastic. Absolutely. I'm going to work out. Because dotted around the studio, you'll notice there is one very prominent lady, and that, if I just move that way, lady over there, and then on his camera over here, we've got Pat Phoenix. Now, this was the lady back to us over here, who played Elsie Tanner in the mm -hmm. programme, and you've just delicately unveiled this, this <laughs> th honestly. Legend, everybody, legend, but that's not all you've brought. No. Now, we're going to be talking about a particular icon of Coronation Street in just a few minutes' time. Yeah. First of all, let's have a look at this collection. We have to say this is classic Coronation Street. Oh, it is, this it is, is. This is the OG. So, yeah, so I've brought in um, a few bits and bobs from my collection. Um, some early merchandise. Yes. There is... This is the set of, where are we? There, yeah, yeah. go on, yeah. lift it up a little bit. Yeah, how's that? There uh, we go. Cool. And in there, we've got the glasses. So, so we've got them all there. Yeah, we've got uh, Ina, Minnie and Martha, yeah. who were the three old ladies. Yeah. And Martha was killed off in 1964. Yes. A young producer called Tim Aspinall came in and he took the decision, really, to, to make his mark, which was to kill her off. The cast were furious. Why did he want to kill her off? What was his point? But publicity, ratings. Oh, yeah. and, Simple as that. Yeah, and the cast knew from that point that any of them could be killed off, their careers ended, just to get ratings on one evening. And um, in the episode where she died, uh, Ken Barlow's dad, who had also been axed in this cult, oh. uh -huh. uh, he won the football pools and he was moving to Wilmslow, which is where you move when you win the football pools. Uh -huh. And um, even today. It's better go, I've moved to Spain, I'll have you. Uh -huh. <laughs> so there was a party in the Rovers, and as I always say, when the piano is playing in the Rovers, death is about to strike. And she goes into the snug, and uh, collapses at the, at the table, and uh, then Fairclough had to go through and pronounce her dead. And when they filmed the episode, the, the cast had petitioned the Bernstein brothers, who owned Granada, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, to kind of chop the ending off the episode before it was aired and spare her, but they never replied. And he left a huge long gap. In fact, you can watch it on YouTube, yeah, yeah. this gap, uh, because he hoped that, that she would be safe. So that's them. Then we've got uh, Uncle Albert Tatlock, Yes. And Jack and Annie Walker, oh, uh, the wonderful Doris Speed. And how do you get your hands on something like this then, Mark? Um, I can't reveal such things. OK. Because, uh, you know, the police might be interested. You know, but, uh, the dark web is a very scary place. <laughs> it just it goes to show how yeah. popular Coronation... I mean, it's, it's oh, wonderful yes. now, but, I mean, back then, back in the 60s and the 70s, mm. they were like film star-style celebrities, yeah. weren't they? Well, they were. And, of course, you didn't, unlike today, you didn't see them in any other... TV shows no. and no, um, and you know that Granada um, strictly controlled everything that they did, so it uh, it was you know a huge thing if you if you saw any of these people switching on the Blackpool Illuminations or whatever they they were doing. So yeah, so you could have your your set of glasses. Yeah. Um, then you had jigsaw puzzles. So there's your favourite uh, Pat. Yes. In the middle, Pat Pilkington, as she Pat was Pilkington. really called, of course. Yeah. Um, and there she is at Lens Yard. But you had a set of four. So you've got the old ladies, you've got um, Ina and, uh, Dor and uh, Elsie in a standoff, oh. which is entitled Ina at Bay, because they always had their, mm. their big blazing <laughs> rows, of course. Um, and Florrie's Corner Shop. Florrie's, yeah. Florrie Lindley. Florrie Lindley. Um, so, yeah, you could have your set of four there. Um, 
the mug, the very first mug. Very first mug. Yes, uh, twenty-two karat gold. Oh. And is it really? Yeah. And that again, mug? I've just been well, playing with that. Right right here. <laughs> Can I swap mine for that? <laughs> and it's very heavy, actually. I'll let you have this in a minute. And yes. uh, you got the three old ladies in the in the snug again, and it says, "Life is so sweet in this little street where everyone loves a good chat. Nearly all that they earn aids the rovers' return." And there's no greater cause than that. <sighs> there you are, but that's quite heavy. But, oh, God, it is, isn't it? Mm. 24 carat with extended pawn shop later on. <laughs> and it says Prince William wear. Yes. England. Which fits in with uh, your theme tonight. Yes. yes. Uh, <laughs> so um, that was the first mug. Then they went into books, so you had a set of novels. So there, was, there was loads of merchandise. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because you don't get much of it these days, do you? Hardly anything. And in fact, for yeah. the 60th, you've got your. I got my mug. cup off my mother-in-law. <laughs> but um, they, they cancelled. There we there? go. You got it. There we go. That's off How's the mother-in-law. There you are. So they cancelled a lot of the merchandise yeah. for the 60th this year. Um, so you could do that. This is one of my favourites. <laughs> I love this. Yes. And this is from, it was a pull-out, 1968 from Woman uh, magazine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Still one of my favourite reads. <laughs> and uh, there's, how's that? There's Ina. And inside, you've got all the knitting patterns to look like your favourite stars. So... No! <laughs> so in there, we've got... Um, well, so that's Betty's son, Gordon, which yeah. is played by Bill Kenwright. Famous producer now. Producer. Yes. Um, and then we've got the three old ladies. There's um, Pat Phoenix at the bottom. Um, Val Barlow, played yeah. by Anne Reid, of course. Um, Jack Walker, Emily Nugent in a sort of crocheted maxi dress. Now, what's this about Emily wasn't going to be part <laughs> of the programme? Or... Well, OK, so every time a new producer comes in, even yeah. today, obviously a lot of the actors worry that they may be actors. It's the chart. Absolutely. And in 1968, Granada took the decision to finish the street. That was going to be the end of it. Wow. Uh, ATV in Birmingham had started a new soap, which, was, which had the catchy title of Market at Honey Lake. I thought you were going to say Crossroads. <laughs> no, not Crossroads okay. yet. Um, and so they decided that the street was now a bit old-fashioned and it was also getting too expensive to produce. Uh, and up until 68, they always filmed inside. So the, the mm -hmm. houses were made of wooden canvas and the cobbles were painted on the floor. Yeah, and they had to step up to pretend they were going to cobbles. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And the houses were only about six foot wide yeah. and so on. So they decided it, it come to its end. So the actors were given notice that, that, that they were going. Uh, and then they decided this ATV soap opera wasn't very good, wasn't popular. Yeah. So mm. they decided to give it a go. So this is the actual documents produced 18th of October 67. Mm -hmm. And this was for the producer at the time. And it goes through and it, all the characters, all the sets, people that they might bring back. And, and it's it, got handwritten bits in it as well. Oh, it has it? little notes uh, little as little you notes go along. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'll tell you where I got this because I found this on eBay for a fiver. For a fiver? Some years ago, I did. I uh, need to be getting <laughs> on eBay. Get yourself uh, that mug for a fiver. Some years ago, yeah, I did. And I sent it off to the producer on here who is now passed away and he authenticated it for me. Oh, amazing. Um, so amongst the suggestions in here was that Emily was too boring. Yeah. So there's a storyline in here of her... Uh, losing her virginity, oh. <laughs> becoming pregnant um, with a one-night stand to a, a blind Hungarian violinist. 
Well, they did actually bring that character in. She just didn't get pregnant by him. Um, and uh, they decided to bring back Pat Phoenix. Pat, Yay. Uh, so Elsie Tanner had married Steve Tanner. Pat Phoenix, everybody. Pat didn't want to change the name of Elsie Tanner's character, so insisted that the man that they marry her off to had to have the surname Tanner. That's why Elsie Tanner married Steve Tanner, because so she wouldn't change. So that wasn't anything to do with her original Tanner, then? Well, she, no, she just, because she knew the public knew her as Elsie Tanner, she said, if you're marrying Mop, there's absolutely no way I'm changing the name. So, <laughs> Amazing. So that's She's she a strong, independent woman Steve who won't change for no man. So in this, so she married him and they'd moved away to Warrington. And in yeah. this, they decide to bring her back. And that led to her coming back. Um, so, yeah, there's kind of all sorts of storylines in here that some of which did make it onto the show and some mm. didn't. But it led to them then building the first outdoor set. Yeah. Um, which was only three-quarter size. And, and nothing glamorous at all, in no, fact, nothing real. No. no, then it moved up to Grape Street, which was the last one. And then, funnily enough, tonight is the seven years ago tonight. This is sad, isn't it? The first episode completely filmed at Salford Keys went out tonight. Yeah. Oh, wow. Now, there is one lady that mm -hmm. uh, is sadly no longer in the programme, and she was an yes. absolute legend. We've got a VT of this particular lady. Her name was Jill Summers. Mm. Uh, Let's, you've gone past it. Let's have a look at this woman here. This is Jill Summers. Well, I was talking to him, a chap come up. He says, hey, what time's next train to Manchester? I says, hey, D, I'm busy. Look on timetable, look on timetable. He says, I never read fiction. I'm coming. I mean, that's just one of them voices oh. that you, you just you put a person, you hear the voice, you don't have to necessarily see the face. No, so. no, and everybody knows Percy, Percy. Exactly, where, where, the voice, where does that come from? Then? Okay, so Jill was a singer to start with. Right. And she was born into a theatrical family. In fact, her mum was a big producer uh, of touring shows. Very unusual for a woman to be doing that. Mm -hmm. She was almost born on stage at the palace just down the road, but her mum made it home to Eccles just in time. Just in time. <laughs> just in time. Uh, yes, Marie Santoy, she was called. So Jill started as a singer. She had a half-brother called Tom F. Moss, who was a famous baritone, and they sang together. And he um, got taken ill, and Jill had to deal with the wages for the first time, found out he was being paid much more than she was. <sighs> oh, no. Uh, oh, Men getting paid more than women. That's why I get so, paid more than Belinda. So she dumped him. Went on her own. She was appearing at the Theatre Royal in Oldham, which oh, is yeah. no longer there, yeah. as a nun singing Ave Maria and a stained glass window hanging above her on the stage. The rope broke, the stained glass window fell on her, uh, crushed her underneath and she fell to the ground and she started swearing like a trooper. And Oof. they brought the curtain down and the manager came round and said, you should be a comedian. And she <laughs> discovered that her voice had started to change because of smoking in theatres yeah. and so on. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so that's how she started as a, as a comedian. 
Um, and uh, she, was, she was really called Honor Margaret Rosell Fuller Santoy Simpson Smith. Just the short, <laughs> the short short version. Um, uh, so she changed the name. Jill was a favourite measurement of alcohol, and summer. <laughs> and lover, and, and lover. Summer was their favourite time of year, so she became Jill Summers. Yeah, oh. she she had a saying that she did as well. Whenever somebody asked about her name, something about um, she preferred to be a Jill in the summer or something That's like right. that. That's right. She did. Um, and this I brought along. So um, just lift she, it up a little bit more yeah, for us. She left me um, a lot of her personal memorabilia. Yeah. This was a folder that she would have a band part. So when you were touring, you would take your band parts around. Yeah. Um, yeah. I used to do it myself. Your dots. Yes, yes, your dots. And there's some of Jill's dots there. This was a theme tune. I could open your Is eyes. Is that what was just on there then? Yeah. And, oh! and then here, you've just seen a clip then from her sketch, The Lady Porteress. Right. And this mm. is a copy of that uh, script, 1957. Radio Workers' Playtime. Wow. And it goes through it, and then, I don't know whether you can see that, but so there's blue lines there. Yeah, we can see Can you them. see that? Yeah. yeah. So that's because the censor in those days would have to check your script and check there was yeah. no filth in there. I'd be in trouble. <laughs> you would. The show would not go on the air. <laughs> and uh, that's that. But yeah, so there's lots of um, posters and things like that. There's a, a programme there from Dudley. Do you think there'll ever be a museum? For using all your memorabilia. Oh, you never know. I mean, there should be, shouldn't there? Should <laughs> you've got that many things, and there's, you know, because I'm I guessing have. none of this was included in the Granada tours or anything no, like that. No, 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 no. All my stuff, private stuff, it only. Uh... And is that the way you intend to keep it, or would you like to share it with the masses? Because they'd be interested, wouldn't they? Oh, I'm not sharing it, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's mine and it'll stay. That's <laughs> Of course, Coronation Street's always had its, uh, its trams. Yes. And you've actually got the script from... This, yes. This, this, I brought the you in the... Episode. This is the tram, the live episode. Yes. Oh, it, I think this episode. is the episode I remember the most is from it? growing up. Was, okay. It was just such a moment on TV to see yeah. this tram come flying in and kill everyone. And I was just like... How'd you do that? Well, this is 10 years ago, so you, it was probably on your, about your third birthday. And uh, <laughs> Yes, that's right, it was on my third birthday. <laughs> <Yeah. Yes. laughs> um, so, yes, this is the script. It's an hour long. Um, and you, you get the print on one side there. These are called the side scripts because they'd be clipped to the camera. Right. Uh, for them. And, uh, yeah, so all the cast who were in the, the episode have signed that one. But that's quite... It's like a phone book, isn't it? So if you imagine... Massive three or four of those in your pigeonhole yeah. on a Tuesday and then you've got to go through and uh, work out how many lines you've got. Right. Okay. Is, this is. is why I could never go Going through lines. with your highlighter like yes. again and again and then you read your diary and you go, whoa, we're here. Yes. You told me this. <laughs> exactly. Scene 17, interior of the cabin, <laughs> stage scene, two, I'm guessing that is. Yeah. Night, uh, 2142, studio Rita. Um, <laughs> no script. And it says, in the wreckage of the cabin, Rita... Doses, could be unconscious. Doses. Doses. Doses, Doses. yeah. Could be unconscious. Could oh, be yes. dead for all we know. And since no one's searching for her, she's likely to stay that way for a very long time. She was crushed by boxes of sweets. Boxes of bonbons. She was. Bonbons, I should say. She was. Well, I mean, that's... that's quite amazing. And of course, speaking about Rita, which yeah. is clever that I managed to say. <laughs> yeah, very good segue there. Good at this <laughs> she had an owl mouth. She was a very famous singer, wasn't she? She'd... Yes, she was. So there she is under. Her name at the time, mm -hmm. Barbara Mullaney. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, she had an album out here, and she sung one or two of these songs on the show, Embraceable You and things like that. The odd thing is, because it was a private venture, they would not let her do the album photo shoot on the set. Oh. So this is actually Coronation Street down in Salford. I think oh. I <laughs> it's yeah. literal Coronation it, it Street. It certainly is. 
But yes, yeah, she, she uh, and she toured, she did uh, Canada and things like that. When um, they did a special aboard the QE2, which I was yeah. there for. Oh, uh, sure. Oh, well, well. And, hey. uh, and she sang Embraceable You in that. A little bit there. there. There's a scene where she and Alec Gilroy are on the back of the, of the QE2 and um, fireworks going off. They couldn't film fireworks at sea because it would be seen as a distress signal. So that bit was shot in a field in Knutsford. Oh. Uh, it's all glamour, you know. It's <laughs> so glamorous. Uh, let's move on to that um, framed piece yes. of work that you've got there. Yeah. So this used to... There you go. This used to hang uh, in the Rover's Return. So the Licensed Victualers Association made Bet and Alec Gilroy members. Um, so this is the certificate that was given to Bet and Alec. And this used to hang behind the Rover's Bar all the time that they were both wow. in the show. And, uh, and it was a gift from them to me. And you are, of course, very close friends with our Julie. Oh, yes, with Julie. Uh, since yes. you were on the programme last time, we did get kind of inundated with people wondering how is she, what's she up to? She's very well. Yeah, um, what's she yeah. doing these days? Uh, well, she's. What time is it? She might be in bed by now. <laughs> uh, um, she is. Uh, well, she's retired now. Yes. Um, but she lives on a farm, so yeah. she's uh, enjoying life uh, there. She's she's lived in Rochdale all her life, or in Haywood in Rochdale. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, she lives just a few, along the road, really, from where she was brought up, mm, and uh, she's doing great. Let's go on to this, because this mm. is very, very heavy. She's been living for this. It's very, very <laughs> heavy. Now, this, this to me, is the epiphany of what film Smoke and Mirrors is, yes, really, it is isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah. So, yes, that is uh, the, the weapon yes. that uh, Tracy... Tracy did an exotic dance. Yes, she did, yeah. I don't know if you... you want to do that or not. But uh, whether we're ready... Give it a shot. Go on, give us a shot. Go on. And uh, Tracy then hit Charlie Stubbs, Charlie the Builder, over the head with it. You can hit Brandon yeah. if you want can, to. You, don't react. You're, <laughs> no, you're the actor. Come on. Sorry. I'm going to stand up. <laughs> Standing up for this. Are you ready? I'm going for it. La, 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 the unexpected. Oh, and then she, went, she reached over, didn't she? So she she did. was dancing like that, if I remember. Oh, and then she so reached funny. over and she went, yeah, oh, boom, you. right in your head like that. And there's She's often, one of the that since the start of the show. There's yes. often an in-joke in Coronation Street, in yeah. the music that plays in the background, in some of the props. So, of course, she had to kill him with a statue of mother and child, happy families. Oh. Was a, because she, she was pretending that he was abusing her. So that, uh, now, did that hurt you? Do you know what? It didn't, but you definitely oh, felt it. Oh, try harder yeah. then. <laughs> I've had that said before. It's, it's rather amazing. I mean, you might be able to see audience. I don't know if you can, but this is, I suppose you'd call it the stunt prop, I suppose. Yeah, so yeah. they'd have the real thing on the set for ages, and then it was swapped with this the rubber the rubber one. Because this is rubber, everybody. It's, it's bendy, it's squidgy. I won't do too much to it, because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's classic stuff. But, I mean, it wouldn't... It wouldn't. It uh, wouldn't hurt. No. no. If you got hit with it. Uh, yeah, hard enough, I'd say. Let's well, you can again. see where okay. the paint's come off where she's <laughs> really Did you get that, Mr. Director? One more time, <laughs> one please. One more time. There you go. Do you want to have a go at me? You can have Do one you know go at me. I'm... Here we go. Go on. Oh. oh. Oh, did you feel that through the hairspray? I didn't feel anything. I feel sorry for the prop, to be honest. Yeah, I yeah. It's quite amazing all the stuff you've got. You've got Deirdre. Yes, there. we've got. You remember Deirdre going yep. off Deirdre? Deirdre's oh, free the Weatherfield one. Annie was a fantastic actress for the show because yeah. she, as you know, on television, uh, 
you're acting from there mm -hmm. to there. Yes. And Anne, Annie could do all the emotion in just that, and the neck would go, wouldn't oh, it? Aye. And she could sell, sell that. Um, so she was fantastic uh, on this show. I love the fact all these really wonderful props and the size of our table just getting launched Once on the floor. Done, well, bye. You know, I it, like so, it. Um, we've got time for... So yes. Be Betty, Betty Driver. Betty Driver. Um, who uh, was another friend. Um, so Betty was a wonderful singer as well and had worked with the Henry Hall Orchestra in the war and she'd done films and all the rest of it. And she retired from show business. She had a terrible marriage. It was awful. She had a terrible relationship with the mother and she decided to pack it all in and she retired with her sister Frida mm -hmm. to run a pub. That's right. And, okay. Yeah, and they got a call to say, um, would she be interested in going to Coronation Street? She said, absolutely not. Producer <laughs> came to the pub and said, if we make it you, so we'll call the character Betty, she worked behind the bar, just come in for a few weeks and see how you get on. And of course, she became classic and no one can see a hot pot Without thinking you can't of think of the words about Betty. Although the old thing was, because she was vegetarian, and so she never ate she or made vegetarian. a hot pot in her life. Oh my God! <laughs> right. Uh, we are going to wrap up, but quickly, yeah. the original sheet music from Coronation yes, Street. Yes, there's the original sheet music with the theme tune, and the theme tune is actually called. So it's by Eric Spears. It's got a name. It's got a name. Oh yes, it's called Lancashire Blues. <sighs> That so, should be a pub quiz, that. Shouldn't I'm going to use that. I can do lots of questions. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Coronation Street pub We've quiz. We've got a name for our theme tune. Have we? Yes, it's called Forever Upwards. Forever Upwards. Mm -hmm. Yes, oh. I, just, I just thought I'd share that <laughs> with you. Really, that's actually a really sweet name. I thought you were going to do something filthy. No, no, no. no I just wanted to, just really you know, nice. while we're sharing a bit of trivia, mm. oh, well, and we're almost in time to, to play it out with it now. That's um, true. We'll have to get you back again. I'd love to come back. You've again. just got to come back. We'll just do Cornish Street special. So and we'll just do everything. Let's 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 yes yes. Let's do. <laughs> we'll let her put on the earrings let's again. Let's do next time. Within the next few weeks, I hope my production managers will listen to. <laughs> we will fully get you in to talk, obviously, about this lady and this lady's life mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because she was a character and a half on screen and definitely off screen. Oh, she certainly was. <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, so we'll we'll get that programmed in for, for next yeah. this time next month well we promised you a great episode and that's exactly what i do believe we are fully delivered have you had fun tonight brandon i've had an amazing time it's amazing what you can find out in just 57 minutes and 12 seconds yes indeed everybody join us next time for another fantastic episode of your, your manchester, manchester.